Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. I love sharing Torah classes, and thank you for listening to this episode. Feel free to follow and to share with others so they too can enjoy the Torah classes on this podcast. Now, on to the episode. Okay, we're moving on today to the 16th Mishnah in the first parak, Mishnah Tazayin, Parak Aleph, Pirkei Avos. Now, the Mishnah here does something that we haven't yet seen done, actually, which is we skip a generation. Every one of the past Mishnayas have been the student of the prior person taught this, and then the student of him taught this, and the student of him taught that. And that's where we finished off, actually, with the last of the set of the Zugos was Shammai and Hillel. Hillel and Shammai. They were the last of the Zugos of that era. Now we move on to Rabban Gamliel, and it doesn't say Kibel Mehem, because he didn't. It means the reality is, this Rabban Gamliel is actually, the Kahati introduces it by saying, Ben Shimon Ben Hillel. It means he was the grandson of Hillel Azakin, which means he was two generations removed from the last grouping that we discussed, so he was not necessarily the students of the prior one, and now there's actually a break in terms of the tradition, or we're not moving necessarily in order of the tradition right now, we're just moving on to what other people said, other great rabbis taught in history, in the moving forward. So Kati explains over here that he was a the Nasi, about 10 years, or 10 or so years before Korban Bayez Shani. So it was very, much, very, quick, very soon before the second Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. He was the first one that was called Rabban, or Rabbeinu, which was the name given to the Nasiim of Beis Hillel, from the house of Hillel. The um, Mepharshim explained, very interesting thing, that the reason there's no longer this, the same language of Kibel Mehem, Kibel Mehem, Kibel Mehem, is a fascinating thing. I actually mentioned this earlier, is that Tosfus in Chagiga explains that initially there was only one machlokis amongst the Jewish people, which was the machlokis during the era of the Zugos about doing smicha and yontif on the animal, leaning on the animal, if you're allowed, not allowed. Hillel and Shammai fought, had a few more arguments, but then base Hillel and base Shammai, Tosfus learns, there were many machlokis between them, which were the yeshivas that Hillel and Shammai led, and the Torah became like two Toros, like two, I mean, which is a little bit of a scary thing to say, but that's, and from that point forward, there was just a lot more arguments amongst the Jewish people. Tosfus there in Chagiga learns the reason for that is because the students didn't study under their rebellion and absorb their tradition to the degree that they should have, which means they went out to Paskin and discuss halacha before they had absorbed proper tradition, and this naturally created more machlaikis because now... Two guys walked out of Shear, each one may not have paid as good attention as he should have, and then they each one, well, this is what he said, and this is what he said. And that's why in the Gemara we find, What do you mean, It means two students walked out of a Shear, and they each absorbed differently what he said. How could that be? He said something. So the answer is, that's what Tosfus says, I can't say that, but Tosfus says, they didn't absorb because they didn't pay the best attention or focus as much as they should have before they left the shir. They didn't. They weren't mishamish. They didn't serve their masters, the rebellion, as much as they should have. So the mafarshim say that's why it doesn't say anymore kibel mayhem, kibel mayhem, because the concept of tradition was very much damaged at this point. If it wasn't kibel mayhem, meaning really it should have been kibel, but the concept of tradition was somewhat severed. It was somewhat damaged. 
students didn't absorb. I, this is just a bit of a tangent, but what's a very interesting thing, it actually ties into what he's about to say. I guess that's probably why he discusses this point. But today, in today's society, you find very often is a guy will learn in one yeshiva for one year, and then another yeshiva for another year, and a third yeshiva for a third year. And he has no, there's no continuum. There's no sense of like absorption of tradition. And then moving on to another. It's, it's just, you know, we'll get a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. I'll get my popcorn here, my soda there. It, it, that's not the way to do it ultimately. You need to study by one Rebbe, to some degree absorb a tradition from him. And then once you've absorbed a derech halimud, an approach, then you move on. But that's, that's something that we find. I mean, this was already thousands of years ago. There was somewhat of an issue. So Rabbi Gamliel teaches us, Rabbi Gamliel Omer, and I, this idea, I guess, ties in very much. Maybe that's why he teaches us this. He says, Aselech Arav. He says, first of all, make for yourself a Rebbe. Now, earlier in Pirkei Yavis, we'd learned Aselech Arav. Who taught us that? Aselech Arav earlier. Do you remember? No. Aselech Arav. He taught the same uh, principle. This was Mishnah Vav Yeshua Ben Prachya. Aselech Arav. But this is a different kind of Asei L'charav, the Mepharsh must speak out. There, Asei L'charav was a derech halimud. When you're studying, you should have a Rebbe. We, learned, we explained over there, you should have one Rebbe, you study under. Here he's saying a little bit different. He's saying Asei L'charav is regarding Psak. When it comes to Psak Halacha, so even if a person is a posik and he has the ability to paskin based on his own Sephara, when you're paskining, if you don't know necessarily the real Halacha, there's no direct application, so you're paskining based on svara. It's very important to have a rabbi who you can double check with, you can consult with, so that you can't assume, you don't just assume, okay, based on logic, this is the, conclu- this is the conclusion. Rather, you should have a rabbi you can double check with to make sure this is actually the reality when tum tums the psak, and not just based on your own logical conclusions. Which means when there's things that are pashat, it's a mefurish mishnah brura, etc., that's not necessarily have to double check, but when it comes to paskining based on logic, so if you're utilizing your logic, it's a good idea to have a Rebbe you can double check with to confirm this is the right idea. That's number one. Number two, vihistalek minasafek, remove yourself from doubt. What do you mean remove yourself from doubt? So this actually ties into the same, the same idea. You shouldn't just paskin based on your own svara. That's what it means. Sometimes people have sveikot, they have doubts, and this is specifically talking about a posek. Somebody wants to paskin na'alacha. So you could paskin mutar, asur, you could paskin it's acceptable, it's not acceptable, based on your own logical conclusions. Or if you have a Rebbe you can double check with, or friends you could double check with, people that can keep you in check, etc., they can help you out. So histalek minasafek. If you have a Rebbe that you can double check with when it comes to psak, that's the most ideal situation because then you will naturally remove yourself from safek. Kahati brings down a very interesting Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara says when he would come to decide a halacha, there was some halacha that he was deciding, he would gather ten chachamim from the yeshiva around him and why would he do this? So he says, because if we paskin wrong, the punishment will be divided ten ways instead of just on me. But meaning, what's the idea in that? What he was saying was, is that when I have ten people there, so it's much more likely, even though I'm a great, I'm a great Torah scholar myself, Rav Huna was a tremendous Torah scholar, but this will make sure that the halacha comes out appropriately. There's a checks and balances sort of system. And if we paskin wrong, that was his way of illustrating, so then the onish of the wrong punishment will be divided up uh, amongst ten instead of amongst just me. So that's the idea, is that when it comes to psak, even though you could use your own logical conclusions, you could 
That's something that a, a posek, somebody that has the ability to do that, could theoretically do. You remove yourself from doubts, which is a very important idea I'm going to reiterate in a moment as well. Now the Mishnah concludes, you shouldn't be accustomed regularly to take off ma'asrot omadot. Omadot means by estimation. By, uh, what's a better word for that? Omadot, by omad. It means uh, by estimation or with, um, I can't think of a better word right now. Meaning without exact measure. That's the point. Don't be custom, accustomed to taking off ma'asrot. We know, for example, you have 10% of your protus, ma'aserishon, to the, to the levi. Don't take that off just by estimation, just by rough, rough estimate. Rather, you should have the proper measure. Take the kelim, take a measuring a measuring cup, take a measuring basket, and figure out what's really 10%. Like estimate, which is very similar. Right, so what's the problem? What's the problem? Do less. So the Mepharshim speak out over here, that Kahati explains here, because there's two things that could potentially happen that are problematic. Either you can end up giving less than one-tenth, they'll give one-twelfth, it's just really less than one-tenth. One-twelfth What's the problem with one-twelfth? No, one-twelfth is less than one-tenth. Oh. One-twelfth is less. Oh, yeah. You'll give less, and then what's going to be the problem <coughs> is that your fruits are not fixed up, because you need to take off one-tenth for your fruits to be properly... Uh, have them proper masro taken off in order that your fruits are no longer tevil, are no longer untithed. So then what you give the levy is acceptable. I mean, you haven't given him enough, but you've given him maaser, but your produce is not fixed up. On the other hand, maybe you'll give one-ninth. Now, if you give one-ninth, so you've taken off masrot in regards to your own produce. You as the farmer, you could eat your produce now. But now the levy has mixed into his maser, he has tevel, he has untithed produce mixed into his produce. So now his masrot are messed up. So Ooh, meaning the levy, the levy exactly. The levy? Because now what he has is he has maser mixed in with something that's not properly removed because some of that is still tevel. Some of that was not properly tithed. You got to give 10% to the Kohen. You have to give 10% to Levi. And, and how much to the Levi? 10% to Levi. Forget about the Kohen. You give 10% to Levi. So the problem is if you give him 11%, 10% of that is Maser. 1% of that is not Maser. And it's not, it's produce that hasn't had Maser taken off. It hasn't had. It's looked at as not having Maser taken off. And then what ends, that's the halacha. And then what ends up happening is. 10 and then 1 is 5? You could that would be a gift. The one will be a gift. Exactly. Exactly. Doesn't matter. Exactly. That's the problem. Exactly. That's the problem. So now he has messed up maaser. That's when the farshim speak out. So either way, if you're just estimating, either your produce will be messed up, or his maaser could be messed up. So therefore, when it comes to maaser, you have to give by proper measure. Obviously, people can make a margin of error mistake, but you try your best to do it properly. Then the farshim speak out something interesting. I just want to point down the side. Truma is not the same. That's why I said forget about the, the Kohen. Because Truma, Truma that you give the Kohen, actually one kernel exempts the entire, Midoraita. On the Doraita level, you could just give one kernel and exempt an entire corn, a large amount, on the Torah level. The rabbi said you should give either 140th, 150th, or 160th, depending on how generous you are, but that's only rabbinical. You could give one, even one piece. Even one piece. So it. therefore, you can give by estimation. That's why it's only saying ma'aser shouldn't be done by estimation because truma, anyways, there's no set amount on the Torah level, but on a rabbinic level, again, truma also, there is some sort of a set amount. Okay, but the point is, it's really the same underlying principle, which is the whole idea of this Mishnah is not to do things in a 
a rough way or an estimated calculated sort of way, but rather in a real organized sort of way. So both when it comes to Psak Halacha, that's the beginning, is if you're a posik and you think you can calculate based on your logic, the conclusion, it's a good idea to double check. Ask a rabbi, like Rav Huna used to gather 10 B'nai Yeshiva, gather some friends, discuss it over, because logic is strong, but it could be sometimes you make a mistake. And then the, the last point is a similar idea. When it comes to Masrot, you shouldn't just do it based on what seems to be accurate, do it appropriately. Do it by proper measure. So I'll just finish off this Mishnah with the final point, which is the Gemara tells us. I don't know where. I, I saw it in past years. I have to find it again. The Gemara says, There's no joy like the clarification, the resolution of doubt. Meaning when we live in a position of doubt, a status of doubt, things are not clear. It's a very difficult place to be. Now, because of that, when people have sveikot, sometimes they'll just jump to a conclusion which is the wrong conclusion, just so they don't have to be in a status of safek anymore. Which is also wrong, by the way. That's also wrong. Meaning, when you have a safek, should I do A or should I do B? Life decisions, etc. So sometimes people will just go with whatever's comfortable. That's true. They'll draw a conclusion that's comfortable, etc., even if it's the wrong conclusion, because it's not comfortable, it's very uncomfortable to be in a position of doubt. And that's what the Gemara is telling us. So therefore, there's no simcha, there's no joy like being in a status where things are clear. Mm-hmm. But what the Mishnah is also telling us is, don't just jump to, one a, con- to a conclusion to remove yourself from safek. Draw the right conclusion. Now that's in terms of psak halacha. It's in terms of taking off masrot. And in terms of life decisions, it's also a very important principle. If we're not sure, should I go here? Should I go there? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? Should I, etc. fill in the blanks. Should I buy this? Should I buy that? Should I invest here or that? It's easy sometimes. Now obviously some, some of those are less important than others when it comes to Torah, uh, thought, etc., Torah decisions, meaning in, in terms of Torah, should I learn here, should I learn there? Should I spend this time in learning or not? So in these kinds of things, it's also very important to, A, not just choose the easy decision because it's comfortable, and B, make a decision. It means don't just stay in that status of suffix, but make the right decision based on the right calculations, which as the Mishnah tells us, maybe it's good to have a, someone you can talk it over with, get some friends, speak it over. Sometimes you don't see the objective perspective because you're in it. Right? You're in it, so it's hard to see things objectively. It's a very important idea in life in general is that yeah. it's very uncomfortable that to be in a position of suffix, and there's no joy like being out of that position of suffix, mm-hmm. but don't allow that to motivate you to make the wrong decisions just because it's easier to do. Very often in life, I, mean, I found myself and I see with other people, it's the same exact thing. People will very often stay doing something or in a job or in a relationship, or etc., etc., just because that's what they've been doing. Even though that's the wrong thing. It's unhealthy, it's unproductive, it's not good for them, etc., because it's, it's comfortable. It's it, a discomfort that you're used to. That's what it is. It, so decision one time about one way or whatever whatever the decision is then you do it again and then the third fourth time you believe this is the right yeah, way yeah. because you've been doing it like this 
Yeah. It's a very interesting thing, by the way. I just I'll finish off with this: is that during COVID, a lot of people made life decisions. It's very interesting. I mean, some for some for better, some for no, no, no. I'm talking about some for better or worse, unrelated to COVID. A lot of people changed jobs. Unfortunately, there was a lot of divorce that occurred. Also, there was a lot of major life decisions that people made. A lot of suicide. A lot of major life decisions that people made during COVID because they were put on the spot. You know, beforehand, I wasn't home all day by myself to just think about what it is. So I, I distracted myself and I didn't make conclusions or make decisions that probably. I should have really thought through and decided this is what's better for my life. And again, some of those were unfortunately not not so good, but that was necessary. Sometimes when we sit down and we think, you know, actually this is something that I should actually consider and figure out, we take mm-hmm. care of them. That's the rule the mission is teaching us basically. It's not here. Monday, so I can rear my head. What should I go up Monday, Tuesday, go back and forth. Just make a decision and limit yeah, it. You yeah. can't, you know, you should but you mentioned to it, but I'm, I'm assuming what I always thought was very important. A sale of is that I'll just make an example uh, making tea on Shabbos. I asked my rub, can I make tea? No, I can't make tea. So I guess the next rub, if I go to by the fourth rub, someone says, yeah, Kaylee Schlitz, you can make tea. That's that's psak. You know, I mean, that's you have to go to one rub right. for so, You can't shop around. Not even, I, I'm going to a deeper level. So I'm going deeper. I'm with you, yeah, I yeah, agree. That you cannot, let's say I know. Rabbi Pritzstein is makel in this, and, and, and but Rabbi Pritzstein is machmer in this. I can't go to him for one question and go to Rabbi Schlumberger for the other, knowing that he's going to be makel. you got to stick with one person, and whatever he says, he says. You cannot go to, it's only one rub, knowing that that's the rub. You know, as far as you know, as far as like this, and I'll ask him, you know, you got to stick to one person. So there's, a, Gim- there's a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah that discusses that reality. It's very interesting. The Gemara there says that you're not allowed, the Gemara says like this, you can either paskin like Beis Shammai or like Beis Hillel. But if you pass in like Beis Shammai, you pass in like Beis Shammai in their Chumras and their Kulas. And if you pass in like Beis Hillel, in their Chumras and their Kulas. Now Rashi explains, and the Gemara says that somebody that paskins like the Kulas of both, I believe the, the language the Gemara uses is a Rasha. And if he paskins like the, the Chumras of both, he's a fool. I think that's what the Gemara says. Like that's the idea, basically. But the Rashi explains over there, it's really only an issue to paskin like the Kulas of both. Um, when they contradict each other. Meaning if there's one topic in halacha and there's two facets of that topic, so if you paskin like one kula or chumra, you, by mutual exclusion, you can't paskin like the other chumra or kula because halachically the underlying principle is essentially contradictory, so that would be an issue. But if it's a scenario like you ask a shayla in Hilchas Shabbos from one rabbi and then you ask a different shayla in... Uh, I don't know, Hilchas Kashras, which are unrelated. The underlying principles are not necessarily contradictory. The implication is it's not necessarily an issue. Not necessarily, meaning it's only when the underlying principles would contradict each other that that perhaps would become problematic. But still, it is true what you're saying, L'chorah, is that you should have one mahalach. There should be one mahalach in life. And um, if you're so on a rabbi, so then you should rely on that rabbi. Because like you say, you go kula shopping. Some people like to do that. Yeah, my used to say... It's very easy to be machmer. It's hard to be mekulis because you have to know how yeah, to be mekul. Yeah, that's why the Gemara says, Koyach de Tera Adif, meaning the Gemara always says that, is that the strength of the lenient one is more significant because it's easy for somebody just to pass in the Chumrah. Yeah. It, takes, it takes a real right. Manda Omar, a real Das Torah to pass in the Kula, exactly. 
Okay, we'll stop here. Bezer Shalom, pick up tomorrow with Mishni Yitzayin.